Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Before we read our text this morning, um, I have a lot of history with this text. I love this text. Uh, When I was, I guess I wasn't fresh out of high school. Out of high school, I went to junior college for two years. And then I went to to University of Southern Mississippi. Um, Through growing up, if you ever hear me talk about growing up, I didn't have a lot of uh, Christian friends. Well, I had Catholic friends, which were Christians, but they were they were Catholic. It was different. We grew up in a Baptist here, or like in Bloxy, or like Catholics are. Everybody was Catholic. So even if they were nominally Catholic, they were Catholic. Uh, Even so, even out of high school, I didn't have Christian friends. When I got to, to College is the first time I had Christian friends. And my first semester of school, I did a Bible study um, with a guy named Paul Rankin, and we studied Hebrews chapter 11. We spent the whole of the semester studying Hebrews chapter 11. And we ended with this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. Um, And since then, it's been one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, It was a great encouragement to me as I was entering into this time of life where I had... Uh, brothers now who would come alongside me and help me study the Bible. Uh, so much so that seven years ago when uh, I was asked, hey, can we come hear you preach? This was the sermon text uh, that I preached in uh, the Gulfport Church and Jenny and and uh, and Linda and Jerry, I guess it was just the three of you, uh, were down there and came and preached. And so it's a, it's a joy to get to, t- to preach this text uh, again. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As we begin this morning, I want you to think of this question. What drives you? What is it that motivates you? What is it that causes you to do the things that you do? I think we see a good example of this in the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, now, let me be clear. The older Gene Wilder version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, not the newer one, because I don't like the newer one. Um, but in that movie, you, you see this, and it's a book too, I understand that. But in the, in the movie, you see this picture of these kids. And as you watch the kids go through, you understand what drives them, what motivates them, right? Uh, candy, that's right. <laughs> Uh, for some, it was greed. For some, it was gluttony. For some, it was fame. Others, fortune. They're searching for the thing that they love, the thing that defines them. And this is true of, of all people. We are constantly trying to find the thing that defines us. Who am I? What makes me who I am? What makes me me? And the question is now, as Christians, how do we answer that question? 
What gives us our identity? What gives us significance? I think the, the beginning of chapter 12 of the book of or letter of Hebrews is one of the greatest therefores that there has ever been. <laughs> uh, therefore, and, and I believe that in some sense here, we're not only getting an, an immediate therefore, but we're getting a all the way back to the beginning of the letter therefore. What do I mean by that? Say, so Daniel, I've never heard someone say therefore that many times in a sentence, and I'm very confused. Um, what do I mean? What is the major theme of our letter? Jewish Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, you are tempted to leave the faith, to leave Christ because things are hard. But I have told you again and again that Christ is more supreme. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. I've just got done telling you about all of these heroes of the faith, Abel, who offered a sacrifice pleasing to God, Enoch, who walked with God and was taken up, Noah, who obeyed God in faith, Abraham, who rested by faith in the promises of God, Moses, who gave up earthly fame for an eternal reward, and others, those who conquered kingdoms, those who were made strong in weakness, those who were suffered, uh, who, who suffered mocking or beatings or imprisonment, Therefore, therefore, as we consider the weight of that therefore, we will see three things to answer that question of therefore. What is this therefore? The call of the Christian life, the object of the Christian life, and the endurance of the Christian life. The call, the object, the endurance. Of the Christian life. Let us begin by looking at the call of the Christian life. We begin here by seeing, therefore, since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. I love this imagery of a cloud. What is it that makes a cloud? Tiny little particles of water. A cloud of witness. Do you know how many tiny little particles of water it takes to make up a cloud? It's a lot. I don't know how many. I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on the weight and density of the cloud, right? I don't know. Science. It's not my strong suit. It's a lot, though. It's a lot. And it's saying you are surrounded by this great cloud, a lot of people of witness. And you are to learn and grow from it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Christian life is not ever to be one of solidarity. This whole idea of just me and Jesus in the woods is a lie. We need this great cloud of witness so that we can go and see Abel and we can see that his blood speaks to us from the ground. And all of it, we're to take advantage of it. We're to read commentaries. We're to read uh, biographies of, of brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to read the, 
if you ever want to just get a good history of the church, go read Luke and Acts. You know what Luke and Acts is? Hey, let me, this is Luke, the physician, writing to Theophilus, I believe it is, saying, hey, let me tell you about the history of the church. Let me tell you all that's going on. Let me tell you about this great cloud of witness. How do you define yourself when people come up to you and ask you, who are you? Do you say, well, I'm the father or the son of uh, Doug and Lois Levengood. I'm a brother to Pam, Laura, and Albert. I'm Caucasian. I'm middle class. What is it that says, when someone comes and says, who are you? How do you respond? Do you say, I'm a son of God? I'm a daughter of God? I'm a Christian? How do we define ourselves first and foremost? What should define us is who is ours. We must reconsider how we perceive our life, that we are not our own. We are Jesus's. We are children of God. And because you are surrounded by this cloud of witness, because you are sons and daughters of God, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The writer of Hebrews is telling us the Christian life is a race and you need to run it. If you've ever seen the movie or read the biography of the famous runner, Eric Liddell, uh, you may, may, may not be, remember the name. You probably remember the name of the movie, Chariots of Fire. And even if you don't remember the movie, you probably remember that synthesized. Dum, 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 right. <laughs> Chariots of Fire. Eric Liddell is quoted as saying this. He was a Christian man uh, who took a, a firm stand. He was a fast Christian man, but he would not run in the Olympics on a Sunday. But this is what he said about running. He says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Are you running the race of the Christian life in such a way that as you run, you feel the pleasure of God? We have to run. We have to run in such a way that we're feeling the pleasure of God. And this imagery of, of, of faith being a race is all over scripture. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we... And imperishable. The point is, don't run the race just to finish. Run to win. Run to win. Run it well. Don't run half-heartedly. As we run half-heartedly, what happens? What happens if you're a runner and you take time off? 
maybe a month, maybe two months, maybe thirty-something years. And you try to go run, what happens? It doesn't feel good. Your lungs. Your legs. Oh, that burning. It hurts. We can't forget to exercise. We can't return to the easier life provided by Rome or Judaism. We're called to run in such a way that we're going to finish. Uh, Likewise, Paul in 2 Timothy 4 says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord of righteousness will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. We have to run the race. And how do we run this race? Understanding this. When you run a race, if you go over to Lakeside Park and they have a race going on uh, and they say, okay, here's the start and here's the finish. Uh, In between, you can't just go wherever you want, can you? It would be chaos. There are are marked off places. You're going to run this way. You're going to go over here. And that's how we're to run the race. The race has been set off for us. We do not dictate the path. We cannot run it however we want to. If we did, it would be chaos. So how do we run the race? Well, okay, Daniel, I'm going to run a race. You're telling me about a race. I've got to run this thing called the Christian life. How do I run it? What am I supposed to do? And what am I going to tell you? Look to the cloud. Not the phone cloud, right? Not the storage device or whatever. You got to be careful nowadays. (laughs) Look to the cloud, the cloud we were just talking about, the cloud of witness. Look to this great cloud of witnesses, Abel. Abel teaches us how we are to sacrifice to God. Noah teaches how we are to be obedient. Abraham teaches us to to trust in God's promises. Moses teaches us to give up the riches of this world for the riches of heaven. All of scripture shows us how we are to run the race. Immersing ourselves in the word of God. And as we do so, that word of God protects us from the slings and arrows of the evil ones. We're to pray without ceasing. We're not to neglect the meeting of God's people. And we lay aside every weight that would easily ensnare us. In the Roman world, you know, from Rome and Greece area, we get the Olympics. But in the Roman world, they would train. And they would train clothed. But on race day, do you know what they would do? They would get naked. Yeah, ew. But that's what they would do. Do you know why they did that? No. So they wouldn't have anything encumbering them as they run. So they wouldn't have their flowy togas or whatever they were wearing uh, getting wrapped up in their legs. And so they would. They would get into nothing. And that's what it's saying here. You need to run in such a way that you are unencumbered. It's not a foreign thought to us today. If you watch the Olympics or you watch like uh, the Tour de France, uh, they're making their suits and their helmets and their caps so they can be what? Aerodynamic. So that they can cut through that water in such a way that there's no resistance You need to put off the things that are causing resistance. Those things, even those things that may be allowable, permissible. I think alcohol is a great example of this. Is it a sin to drink alcohol? No, it's not. 
Can sin become, or can alcohol become something that ensnares us? Yes. Even those things that you might say to me, dang, I'm allowed to do that. I'm like, certainly you are. But is it dragging you down? Is it clinging to you tightly? So that on one hand, you have to get rid of those things. On the other hand, you have to get rid of those blatant sins. Those sins that hold to you like a three-year-old with Kung Fu grip. Have you ever tried to get a three-year-old off of you when they want to grab onto you? It's like, where does their strength come from? You're like, get off me. And that's how sins grab at us. They grab at us. It, it reminds me of Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Gollum, if you've ever read Lord of the Rings or seen the movies, he's this creature. He's got the ring, right? And he wants the ring so bad. He is, what, my precious. So much so that when he finally gets it and he's looking at it, he's got it in his hand, what does he not realize? He's falling. He's falling into a lake of fire. But he's just so happy. Look, I got my precious. I got the thing I wanted. And then he dies. That's how sin grabs onto us. And sometimes, sadly, that's how we are to sin. Don't go away from me. I need you. And we cling to it. We think it's good for us, but it's dragging us into a lake of fire. We cannot keep sin and hope that it won't affect us. But we also see this. As we get rid of every weight, we also see that it's an endurance race. It's not a sprint. It's a long run. If you're to train, train for the Boston Marathon by doing even mile sprints, and then you try to go to the Boston Marathon and say, now I'm going to sprint this race, what will you soon find? You can't do it. You cannot sprint the Boston Marathon. It is not possible. We can't rush it, guys. Sometimes when we're, you see a new Christian and they're like, go, 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 go. And they're like sprinting as hard as they can. And sadly, what sometimes happens to those new Christians? They're gone. They tried to hit it so hard. They, they, they didn't run the race focusing like they should. We've got to run with endurance. So then what? How are we to run with endurance? We've seen the call to run. But now we're going to see the object. Because yes, we've been given this great cloud of witness. And yes, it's a great thing. And yes, we need to make ourselves available to it. But ultimately, we see the ultimate example here, don't we? Starting in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You want to run the Christian life? Look to Jesus. What do we see in Jesus? You see a life of perfect obedience. A life of humility that took on flesh, being born without tempted, but tempted in every way as we were tempted. 
who, like Noah, was obedient, but was perfectly obedient. Who, like Abraham, trusted in God's promises, but he trusted perfectly. Like Moses, who resisted the riches and the promises of this world, but did so perfectly. Like Abel, who showed us a true, what a true sacrifice is, but he was the perfect sacrifice. Everything that we see in these heroes of chapter 11, Jesus was better than that. You want to know what you look to? Look to Jesus, not only in his life, but in his death. As he carried his own cross, as he was mocked, beaten, and tortured, as he was condemned and died and buried. Look to Jesus, who showed you how even in this life you are to suffer. And look to his resurrection that on the third day he rose again from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and that he is there right now making intercession for us. All of faith is founded in him. And there's this wonderful, look to him, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross. It was a joy. A joy for him. Joy is defined as great pleasure and happiness. That's how Webster defines it. Great pleasure and happiness. And there are, I think, some who would look at Jesus, who would look at his life, his death, and his resurrection and say, what was he, some sort of madman? Was he a sadist? How could he look to his death with joy? But he was, it was not, he was not delusional. We see a picture of this in John 17, 3. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus could come and do, endure all these things because he wanted his joy to be our joy. He wanted his joy to be our joy. That he wanted his joy to be fulfilled in us. And so he endured all of it because of his love for us. This is why he endured the cross. This is why he was able to despise the shame and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. There's a hymn written by an author, August Toplady. It's uh, one we don't really sing, but it says this. Oh, love incomprehensible that made thee bleed for me. The judge of all has suffered death to set his prisoners free. Does that notion not overwhelm you? Oh, love incomprehensible that made thee bleed for me. That the judge of all, Jesus Christ, the judge of all, Suffered death to set his prisoners free. It's a wonderful, it's, it's beautiful. It should both overwhelm and in a way shame us what the love of Christ has done. How can we continue in sin in light of this beautiful truth? How can we remain unchanged? How can we continue to cling to sin so desperately with white knuckles. 
We cannot go living unchanged. We have to realize who is the God that we serve. We have to realize the sacrifice that has been made for us. We cannot allow the words of the Bible, of of the passage here to wash over us ineffectually. They have to affect us. They have to mean something to us. And finally, we are to endure. Jesus endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The reality is this, brothers and sisters in Christ, as you go about this Christian walk, you're going to suffer. You're going to hurt. You're going to have times of doubt. You're going to have times of worry. You're going to have time of illness, of of struggles with families, of struggles with jobs. In fact, Paul tells us we won't be perfect in this life, life in Philippians 3. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We are to press forward to the prize. And no matter, no matter what the circumstance of life we find ourselves in, we are to push towards Jesus. We are to look towards him. There is no situation in which he is not a reliable guide for us. He is the premier, ultimate example of faith for us. It is by no mistake that the writer of Hebrews here is focusing on the cross. We are to look to the cross in all things where we see Jesus on full display, where we find how we are to endure. Looking to do the Father's will, even as Jesus did the Father's will. Looking to a future promise in him, even as Jesus looked forward. With great joy, he saw the crown beyond the cross. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the source of our faith. So we are called not to grow weary, not to grow faint hearted. On the basis of Christ's work and nothing less. Life is hard. There will be suffering. We know that. We have examples of that. But we also have an example on how to endure. To keep our eyes. Focus our eyes. Look to Jesus. Paul looked to Jesus and he said, I cannot compare the suffering of this world It's not worth comparing to the glory that I have in Christ. This is what we should rest in, that Christ is reigning even now. So that we can sing like we did last week, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. I will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. 
We need not fear, brothers, sisters, in Christ, because Jesus has conquered all. And we are able, because he is able, we are able to endure to the end. So do not become ensnared. Trust on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured this cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is our hope. Or as the hymn writer says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Is that where your hope is? Is that where you're resting today? Brothers and sisters in Christ, you do not have to go through this world without hope. You do not have to go through day-to-day hopeless. You have a hope in him. Cling to Jesus. Put off your sins and cling to him. But let me also say this. If you're sitting in this room today and you've not put your hope in him, turn to him. Put off the things of this world. Put on Jesus. Cling to him. Let us run the race, keeping our eyes on the prize. And that prize is nothing less than Jesus himself. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for the way it reveals to us these wonderful, beautiful truths. Oh, Heavenly Father, would we see this cloud of witness that is set around us? Would we lay aside every weight of sin which clings to us? Would you enable us through the working of your spirit to run the race that is set before us? Oh, and would we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is even now seated at your right hand, at the right hand of the throne of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.